And we have joining us here in the studio for the uh, news briefing, Yu Sumin Sumin. Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. All right, so we're back to work mm-hmm. after this uh, long extended holiday. As I had mentioned in the opening, the uh, concerns now going forward uh, for the next few days, looking at the uh, new infection numbers to see if there is indeed an uptick. One of the major concerns as to why there would be an uptick in infections was that there were originally planned to be these uh, um, wide-scale anti-government rallies to Mm -hmm. be taken place, uh, like we saw during Liberation Day, which resulted in this super spreader event involving these far-right groups, as well as Christian groups like Sarangjeol Church. The Depending on how you look at it, the fortunate thing is that there were no large-scale rallies that were held uh, Saturday during National Foundation Day. Uh, And a large part of that was that uh, people enforced, the officials enforced this decree by the judge controversially allowing uh, these so-called drive-through rallies Mm -hmm. to take place. However, um, we'll have to see what the effects of that is. But if you give us a recap on... What's going to happen? Um, We know that there are protests scheduled for this weekend as well. But first, give us a recap on what happened with the protests this past Saturday. Sure. So, well, the rallies this past weekend were carried out much smaller in scale with no serious clashes between the police and the protesters. And originally, uh, more than 100 conservative civic groups had planned to take to the streets in downtown Seoul or near Gwanghwamun Square last Saturday. But as you said, the protest permits were all rejected by the police. And last Saturday, the police completely cordoned off Gwanghwamun Square with police buses and steel fences. They installed 90 checkpoints at entries to Seoul, and they even deployed nearly 800 police officers across the capital to prevent any large political masses. Mm-hmm. Well, even subways did not stop at stations near the Gwanghwamun Square. So we could understand that this is in line with the hardline stance that the government has taken against the mass public rallies after the August 15th anti-government protest. because those protests were partly to blame for the resurgence in virus cases and more than 600 infections are now being traced to that Gwanghwamun rally on August 15th. And this past weekend, the protesters uh, then resorted to the limited drive-through rallies, as you mentioned, after winning the conditional uh, court approval. But still, the government is looking closely at whether these uh, rallies over the past weekend could be another trigger that could cause an upturn in the number of cases because some, some of the protesters reportedly were seen with their masks mm. off and they even chanted some slogans. And some conservative groups have warned that they will take to the streets in downtown again in Seoul this Friday and Saturday. They're going to stage the rallies on Hunger Day, which falls on this Friday at Gwanghwamun Square. So with regards to this, let's take a listen to what Prime Minister Jung Se-kyun had said during the briefing. So what he was saying is that the government is planning to ban protests, those anti-government protests planned by conservative groups on Hunger Day to protect the lives and safety of the people. And uh, he called on those preparing for the rallies to immediately suspend their attempts to carry out illegal protests. 
Well, according to the Prime Minister, South Korea had seen a daily average of 62 new COVID-19 cases during this extended Chuseok holiday since Wednesday. But he stressed that although we did see a slight drop in the number of cases, now is not the time to relax, uh, pointing out the 14 incubation period when even when infected. And he also noted the possibility of silent infections. And hence, this is the reason why the government is banning rallies this yeah. weekend. We're going to actually uh, debate this topic uh, at the end of our program during our uh, Radio Salon segment as to um, what is the balancing line here between freedom of assembly, but Mm -hmm. also keeping the public safe. And uh, this is really to the letter of the law, what the judge had decreed, allowing these drive-through rallies, less than 10 cars, one person per car, windows have to be closed. And what the government basically did was, well, we might not agree with the judge's decision, but we're going to make sure it is enforced to the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what happened, which may have angered some of the uh, conservative protesters. We've heard some of the mm-hmm. um, complaints by yeah. uh, various figures saying, oh, this is overreach and this is a dictatorship and all of that. But uh, bottom line is the judge allowed the rallies to take place. They were allowed to protest. Mm-hmm. It was just done, again, strictly right. by the letter of the law. So we'll talk about that in more detail because the concerns of another resurgence of coronavirus here in Korea, certainly very real fears. But If anything, those fears are doubled, maybe uh, tripled, quadrupled Mm. in other places around the world, including in Europe. Let's talk about the uh, COVID-19 situation there. European countries recently seeing a dramatic uptick in the number of cases. And now we have some countries reimposing restrictions. Yeah, you're right. Well, the virus is surging in many regions, namely some of the major countries in Europe, like the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and France. Well, those countries are showing no signs of the infection now being under control. The UK has announced more than 10,000 new coronavirus cases for the first time since the mass testing began on Saturday. Well, there were uh, 12,872 new cases on Saturday, while a further 49 people have died. Now, this increase in the UK is largely reflected across Europe, and on the same day, France recorded 16,972 new cases, and that was a new daily high for the country as well. Mm. Now, uh, quite a number of European countries have reimposed those lockdowns and other restrictions in their worst affected regions because of this spike in the daily number of cases. And the UK government has banned its operations of bars after 10 p.m. And the French government also did not rule out the possibility of putting Paris and its surrounding uh, suburbs on its maximum alert level starting Monday if the situation does not improve. Well, the French government also previously announced the closure of all restaurants, cafes and bars in the Marseille region last Wednesday. And the shuttering started Monday and it's set to continue for the two weeks down the line. Not to mention the Netherlands and Belgium, the, these countries respectively announced around 4,200 new positive test results, and these were also new highs in both countries as well. Well, there could be various reasons for this continued spread of the novel coronavirus cases in European countries, but the common general analysis is that those young people who are not seriously ill, those with mild symptoms, they are not really cooperating Mm. with the government's quarantine measures. 
Well, in some of the major European countries, we could easily spot dozens of young people hanging out without their masks on. So this is the reason why some of the governments, uh, the major cities in the UK and France, are mandating the shutdown of bars and restaurants to kind of put the brakes on this spiraling infection because they, those countries also saw a yeah. similar resurgence after the summer holiday. And really, we've seen that similar pattern emerge in various countries. Different countries have different levels of exposure to coronavirus. We can mm. say that maybe comparatively speaking, New Zealand, South Korea, Taiwan, they've suffered less than some of these European Mm -hmm. countries. But what we have seen, no matter what, if you were devastated or you were uh, maybe a little bit more lightly affected by coronavirus, what happens is you get a a surge of cases, the government steps in, the health authorities trying to control the situation, those numbers stabilize, and then because of the fatigue of always being kind of repressed and Mm -hmm. staying at home and and all these quarantine restrictive measures, people start getting a little antsy. And once the restrictions are a little bit kind of eased, then you see a lot of people start uh, engaging in, again, what could be reckless behavior, especially the younger generation, as we're saying, because a lot of them are being cooped up and it's not a really Mm -hmm. comfortable situation to be in. And then inevitably, we see another resurgence of cases. Exactly. We've seen that in Korea. We've seen that in Europe. We're definitely seeing it in the U.S. And unfortunately... uh, Uh, It it seems to be hard to break this kind of continuous cycle that we're in here now as we head into the colder uh, months where people have been wondering Mm -hmm. uh, this so-called second wave Mm -hmm. of coronavirus. uh, It does seem to key indicate that uh, there needs to be more vigilance on that. Heading to another trouble spot, perhaps the worst trouble spot in the world with coronavirus, that's the United States. Mm -hmm. Their numbers have been holding steady at a very high level, unfortunately. And really, nobody is immune to COVID-19. And that's been evidenced now because the most powerful person in the planet, the president of the United States, President Donald Trump, and the first lady, Melania Trump, uh, bombshell news over the weekend as both have tested positive for Coronavirus, everyone is now speculating on his actual health condition. Yes. Because as the leader of the free world, so to speak, it is vital that the uh, government remains stable Mm -hmm. during this crisis and that there is no uh, disruption that uh, their enemies can somehow try to disrupt. However, they're not helping matters. We're talking about the White House by being so inconsistent as to being how transparent they are as to his actual condition, right? Yeah, you're right, Henry. Well, there is this growing criticism that the White House is fueling confusion over the health condition of President Donald Trump, who actually falls into the highest risk category. Well, the remarks from the president's physician, the president himself, and the White House chief of staff, and even the medical staffs are quite distinct when they should not be. Well, a series of statements on this past Saturday painted a quite confusing picture about his health condition. But the latest update from Trump's physician, Dr. Sean Conley, says while he's not completely out of the woods yet, the team remain cautiously optimistic about the president's condition. Well, on Saturday morning, Conley did acknowledge that the president had a fever at one point, but he refused to say what his temperature was or give the press even a rundown of the president's vital signs. Well, according to the CNN, Conley was most evasive about whether the president was given this supplementary oxygen, repeatedly stating that the president was not currently receiving any. But this Conway's kind of rosy pronouncements were later con- contradicted in a statement that was given to the pool reporters from a source familiar with Trump's health. Well, that source was later identified by the New York Times and the Associated Press as White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. 
Now, Mark Meadows reportedly said that the president's vitals over the last 24 hours were very concerning and the next 48 hours will be critical in terms of his care. And on Sunday, Trump's medical team said that his health continues to improve and that he could be discharged on Monday. So we could see that these are quite distinct accounts of his health conditions. And there's even this conflicting reports about the timeline of Trump's positive coronavirus test and treatment. Because uh, Trump uh, himself posted on Twitter at around 1 a.m. Friday that he and the First Lady Melania Trump had tested positive for the coronavirus. But during a briefing just before noon on Saturday, the physician Conley said that Trump was just 72 hours into the diagnosis now, which would have put his diagnosis at midnight Wednesday, midday Wednesday. Well, on Tuesday night, he participated in the first presidential debate, and on Wednesday, he visited Minnesota, and on Thursday, he went to a fundraiser. So uh, he was quite busy during that timeline, and despite saying that Trump was 72 hours into his diagnosis, Conley also said during Saturday briefing that Trump tested positive for coronavirus late Thursday night. So we're seeing this confusing timeline, and this is really generating speculations and concerns because whether he had tested positive on September 30th or October 1st, it would really shake up the tracing efforts and the diagnostic tests that are widely being conducted at the White House. Yeah, and so there are big concerns with the tracing methods because the timing of the contraction plays a big role in this. There was another event which was to introduce the Supreme Court Justice nominee Mm -hmm. Amy Coney Barrett, and apparently that was the super spur event that led to this spread because many people in that event with no masks had ended up testing positive for coronavirus, including now members of the White House and the president and his family members and close aides himself. The the fact that they are inconsistent in their measuring or perhaps trying to be perceived to be covering up, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be a big surprise because, to be blunt, this White House has lied quite frequently in the past. And this president is known to be, uh, again, it's not being partisan, but he is known to be um, Mm. a very frequent liar. And so what that means is there is this uh, result that a big percentage of the population just simply does not believe what's going on and what's being said. And Mm -hmm. that is not a good thing because you do want to have some trust in the fact that these authorities know what they're doing and that they are telling us the truth. But the irresponsible behavior of this is that none of these people were wearing masks. They apparently did not even bother to uh, inform the Joe Biden campaign Mm -hmm. that there were infections or even risks of infections, which puts the uh, Biden campaign and Biden himself at risk. So all around just very irresponsible behavior. Yes, yes, we do hope that everybody who suffers from coronavirus uh, makes a full recovery and stays healthy. But again, a lot of this could be prevented, and it's unfortunate that that was not the case. Let's turn. To, we'll talk much more about this, I'm sure, in the days and weeks ahead. But let's turn back to here in Korea because there's another controversy brewing with the top diplomat, Foreign Minister Kang Kyung Hwa, namely her husband mm-hmm. under fire for traveling to the United States reportedly just for leisure purposes amidst the pandemic. Yeah, you're right. So Lee Il-byung, the husband of South Korea's foreign minister Kang Kyung-hwa, has reportedly traveled to the United States, presumably for a yacht tour, despite a government travel, travel advisory had been issued, which asks people to avoid making overseas trips due to this coronavirus concerns. And this is exactly the reason why he's being widely criticized. 
Well, the public broadcaster KBS reported on Saturday that Lee Il-byung, the husband of South Korea's foreign minister and the professor emeritus of computer science at Yonsei University, left for America via Incheon International Airport on Saturday for personal travel purposes. Well, Lee Il-byung himself said on camera at the airport that he is going on a free self-guided travel and COVID-19 is not going to disappear in a day or two, so he cannot just remain at home at all times. Well, he's presumed to be planning to purchase a yacht and travel around on board in the United States. And he has so far shared some detailed plan on his personal blog that he is going to go on a travel to the Caribbean Sea since several months back. Well, this travel comes amid the South Korean government having put in place a special travel advisory that's equivalent to the level uh, above 2 and below 3 since March 23rd. And we've been, uh, the, the government has been asking the public to either cancel or postpone all overseas trip schedules, and they have been maintaining this travel advisory for seven months now into mm. the pandemic. Well, this advisory does not legally restrict an individual's overseas travel, but Lee's trip has raised questions as to whether it is really appropriate for a direct family member of a cabinet member to travel overseas freely without any uh, essential purpose against a government recommendation. So Foreign Minister Kang kyung herself addressed the issue during a meeting with senior ministry officials. She said that she feels sorry for such incident in light of the situation with the public refraining from making overseas travel and having outdoor activities. But she said that she's not in a place to tell her husband to return home because he's been planning this trip for such a long time and had already delayed it. Well, the political parties, of course, from both sides of the aisle criticized the trip by Kang kyung hwas spouse. Well, uh, Lee Nagyeon, the head of ruling DP, also blasted this, describing this as inappropriate from the public's perspective. Yeah, and so sometimes it feels like maybe the media and the conservative politicians, all they want to do is trying to dredge up these allegations and scandals. All oh, you know, Chumye's son is this and this, and then they point to another uh, lawmaker saying that they're this and this, and they criticize Moon Jae-in. So it seems like they're just trying to dig up dirt and, and try to maybe smear this government and the ruling party by any means necessary. This, though, because it's the foreign minister, and the foreign minister is the top diplomat, and they have to set an example to the people. And as you say, technically, there is no violation of the law, especially if he goes and then comes back and does the 14-day quarantine. He's not breaking any law. Mm. But the optics of this just look bad. Because first, you're talking about this powerful husband of the top diplomat, the foreign minister. And then you have this situation where he's going to purchase a yacht and going vacationing around in the Caribbean. That, that's just to normal people like ourselves, right? To the Sami, to the peasants. It's mm-hmm. just such a bad image to portray. True. And so what we're seeing is that even the ruling party, they're saying, look, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not the right thing to do. And I, it's hard to argue against this right now because mm-hmm. the optics are wrong. I mean, there might be some details coming out, but on the surface right now, um, it, it's not a pretty picture, I, I guess we can say, so safe to say. Let's move back to domestic politics now because we are going to go back into parliamentary session. Uh, the ruling Democratic Party, the main opposition People's Power Party, they're going to be arguing a, a lot of issues. Probably this uh, foreign minister issue will be part of this, but the audit, which will start from October 7th or this Wednesday, right? Yeah, well, the ruling party and the main opposition party will face off against the current issues during the 21st parliamentary audit slated for this month. Well, there are a host of pending issues, but they will confront each other over the issues that have led, led to the political strife, like uh, North Korea's killing of the South Korean government official and the alleged preferential treatment for Justice Minister Chumia's son. 
Now, these major pending issues are waiting for their fierce discussion at the parliamentary audit, and namely the National Assembly's National Defense Committee and the Foreign Affairs and Unification Committee. They are expected to double down on the shooting of these government officials and also the overseas travel of Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa's husband that we talked about just now. Now, the main opposition People's Power Party will highlight the immorality and incompetence of the Moon Jae-in administration. And the main opposition party plans to focus on the lukewarm response of the South Korean military and the Coast Guard when handling this incident. And also, they are going to focus on the six-hour time gap between the discovery of the official and his death and uh, deal with the appropriateness of the government's response. Well, on the contrary, the ruling DP plans to block the political strife by refuting on the attacks based on the facts. Well, on that note, the ruling DP insists the need to conduct a joint inter-Korean investigation to get to the bottom of this incident. Now, the National Assembly's legislation and the Judiciary Committee, this uh, committee is expected to deal with the allegations of Justice Minister Chumia's son, as well as the prosecution's decision not to indict him. Because, you know, there's this wide discrepancy as to how each party sees this incident. The opposition party is calling on a special investigation into this case, while the ruling DP uh, says they do not have to launch a special investigation. And another issue on the agenda at the parliamentary audit could be the government's uh, COVID, ongoing COVID-19 quarantine measures, the influenza vaccine inoculation program now being compromised because some of the vaccines were exposed to room temperatures. And also they are going to discuss about the fiscal soundness after drafting the fourth supplementary budget. So as you point out, a lot of pending issues here. Um, there is still some matters uh, with the economy to deal with, including the supplementary budget to, to deal with the influenza vaccines and all of the rollouts with that. Uh, you didn't mention, but uh, the reformists also want to see some movement with Gongsu Chao, the independent commission that will be set up to uh, uh, investigate high-ranking officials, and that has been delayed as well. Unfortunately, it does look like it could be mired once again in that partisan bickering that you pointed out that has sort of set back some of the previous sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, very briefly, Pompeo apparently has visited, uh, canceled his scheduled visit to South Korea in light of the uh, President Trump contracting COVID-19. So that is not going to happen. And the uh, expected October surprise perhaps uh, will not be a reality in terms of any movement with Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Sumin, we have run out of time, but we always appreciate uh, all of your reporting. Thank you for joining us here on a Monday, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you.